I supposed to be the franchise player, and we in here talking about practice. Having a 37-year-old in Cincinnati. And all the only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? Yeah! Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up to the layup. Oh, blocked by James. Episode 60 of the DNC podcast, the Big 6-0 Monday edition. We are back. Dustin, how was your weekend, my friend? Nothing better than a victory Monday. 45-0 whooping on the LA Chargers. Absolute shellacking. It's like yeah. vintage, vintage Insane, football. I, I mean, 69 passing yards, 48 rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns. I feel like we're watching an Army-Navy game, which is cool because I haven't seen yeah. it in a while. So, Yeah, it's. I really don't know if any other coach could win games with a quarterback that throws for under 100 yards a game, which Cam has for like the last two or three weeks. And it's super impressive. I mean, the Ravens have done it a few times over the past few years. (laughs) (laughs) But you guys had, what, eight guys opt out of the season, two defensive starters, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, and zero offensive weapons. I think this might be like the worst offensive weapons you guys have had in a really long time. And The funny thing is like, I remember when Cam signed, they were like, hey, I think the weapons may be better than Carolina. Definitely not better than Carolina. Like the weapons, like I like James White. But James White is a good third down back, like a good scat back. That's about it. Besides that, our weapons are absolutely atrocious. Like, if it wasn't for Bill, you could make a case that the Pats may have one of the worst rosters in football. Like, they're bad. Oh, 100%. Um, I mean, when you have guys like Jacoby Myers. I mean, Nikhil Harry, what, what's good with that pick? I, I just I know I've said this to you before, but Bill really cannot draft skill position guys. I mean, the fact that we took him over A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf, like yeah, that's, that, tough. that's tough. Because both really of tough. those guys, I mean, I still think the the D.K. Metcalf top five receiver might be a little too soon. Like, let's wait two or three years. But yeah. he's for sure talented. And then A.J. Brown, it's definitely he's better like than a modern Anquan Bolden. Like, yeah, for sure. I mean, he got a touchdown last yesterday, I think. Three grabs, 15 yards, and a touchdown. So, I mean, that's worth <laughs> the 31st overall pick. Oh, man. So coming up on the pod today, we're going to get into uh, some of the the newer headline news about Don Williamson as we uh, get closer and closer to the start of the new NBA season. Um, He will not have a minutes restriction going into this season, which is huge news for him. We're going to talk about what that means for his individual season as well as uh, the entire Pelicans team as a whole. And then we're going to obviously get into our pick of the day and then talk about uh, the week 12 in the NFL and recap that. So that's, I'm going to go ahead and kick it to you. So huge news from the Pelicans front office. And, um, you know, I was really surprised, honestly, last year when after the delay in the season going into the bubble, the fact that they still had a minutes restriction on him with that huge layoff, that was super concerning to me. I didn't know if there was something that, they weren't telling us about his knee injury, if it was more severe than what they were leading on. But I know that was one of the biggest concerns going into the draft. Like everybody was like, hey, he's a runaway number one pick. This guy's a polarizing talent and you just can't pass up on a guy like that, especially when you just gave up Anthony Davis. Like you essentially are going from one superstar to another potential superstar. And then he gets hurt in preseason, doesn't start until I believe January. Um, but what are your thoughts on you know the Pelicans deciding this you know, because I think it's huge news. I think he's going to be really exciting to watch. I just don't think they have enough to be competitive in the West. Because when you look at it 
going into this year. The only team that made the playoffs in the West last year that's not going to probably make it this year, the Thunder. But then you have Golden State, who I know clays out, but you think they're going to be competitive. They can probably at least get an eight seed. And then you have Phoenix, who has Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And so, you know, you have Lonzo, you have J.J. Reddick. Don't forget DeAndre Aiden. Yeah, DeAndre Aiden. (laughs) I think he'll actually probably have a career year. Like, he's going to have a really good year this year. But when you look at, you know, the Pelicans starting five, you have Lonzo, Probably J.J. Redick is taking the Drew Holiday spot, who I don't think they got anything back for Drew Holiday. All they got back were potential lottery picks if Giannis leaves. Now, if Giannis doesn't leave in two or three years, they got nothing from the Bucks. And so when you look at the starting lineup next year, Lonzo, Redick, Ingram, Zion, Steven Adams, who I really like Steven Adams, but him and Zion together in the front court, it's going to clog the paint. So I don't like that. So I think they'll be explosive. I think they'll be a highlight reel. But I, I just, they're not better than the Lakers, the Nuggets, the Rockets, the Clippers, maybe the Jazz, not the Mavs, probably not the Blazers, and then Phoenix and Golden State. I just, if you're in the East, yeah, you're probably a seven seed, but in the West, I just don't see it. Yeah, I think if, if Houston trades, if they trade Harden to potentially the East, then I think that frees up some space. But I agree. I don't think they're going to be a playoff team. I think they'll be competitive, like you said. They'll be fun to watch, kind of similar to what a lot of people thought about the Arizona Cardinals this year with Kyler Murray and that offense getting DeAndre Hopkins. It's like, yeah, they're going to be fun. They're going to be competitive. Um, but they're not going to be like an elite team. And I and I see that for the Pelicans. Now, I think another interesting thing to watch about this New Orleans team is what what's Lonzo going to become? Because I think he's at that point in his career where, I mean, you and I both really like him as a prospect. We think he can be a really good player in this league, not like an elite player, but maybe, a, a, you know, make a few all-star teams. Um, you know, I think he's more of a traditional point guard in the sense that he's never going to be like a great scorer, but he's really does have elite basketball IQ. He sees the floor really well. He's a really good passer. And I think he can fit that offense perfectly, um, especially when you have guys like Zion and Brandon Ingram who can score for you. And then J.J. Reddick's obviously a great shooter. So it's going to be an interesting year for Lonzo. What do you think about like this year? Do you feel like it's kind of a make or break year for his career? Um, or do you think he has a little bit more time now that he's in New Orleans? He's kind of out of the L.A. spotlight and market. No, I think this is a huge year for him just because he's up for a contract extension at the end of the year. And his dad's already talking about how he's going to team up with his brother in Charlotte. Um and the, and the reality is if he plays really well, he's not going to because he's going to be a restricted free agent and the Pelicans are going to resign him. So no, I think it's a make it break it year for him. I also think that's part of the reason Drew Holiday got traded. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think even going back to Zion, it's like the thing I want to see is, you know, his game develop, right? I, it's not that he needs to go, you know, from zero to a hundred per se, because he's essentially, I mean, he only had what half a season to play. So he's he's going to be a year and a half into his career. I just want to see a little bit more development in his game, and um, you know I want to see his body develop and and over the course of an eighty-two game season, what that's going to look like. I know it's not going to be eighty-two games this year, but you know at seventy-two, it's still pretty close. So how is he going to hold up physically? Um, is he just going to be a guy that catches lobs and dunks, um, or does he develop like an actual? aspect to his game where it's he you know we really see over the course of the season develop his game you know from his back to the basket or is his his jumper get improved you know I just want to see those little elements of his game but I think the minutes restriction in and of itself will 
help boost his confidence as a player because it's tough. I mean, you know this as a former athlete. It's like when you're constantly getting removed from a game and knowing in your mind that you're going to get removed from that game, it really affects how you play. And so I think just kind of letting letting loose on the reins and letting him go wild is going to at least help hopefully build that confidence that, hey, like I know I can just go out here and be me and, you know, implement what I'm working on in the, you know, this off season and then in practice. So it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun to see Zion just unleashed. No, I a hundred percent agree with you, especially on the development piece. I think that's part of the reason David Griffin moved on from Drew Holiday with the potential of having good picks if Giannis opts out, but not knowing because you really want to see the development of Lonzo and Zion. We saw that with Brandon Ingram last year, but when you had right. Brandon Ingram and you had Drew Holiday and that's what your offense ran through, you didn't have an opportunity to really give Lonzo the reins or give more opportunity to Zion. I think that's part of the reason you moved on from Drew Holiday because from a wins and loss standpoint, you're probably going to be a little bit worse off this year than last year, but you're giving your core roster time to develop and see what they can ultimately be. And then if those picks pan out in two or three years, well, now you have Lonzo, you have Brandon Ingram, you have Zion, you have a great four, and then you're potentially getting top lottery picks to fill in the gaps. You could be a really, really good team. I think David Griffin has done a really good job. It's so different from the role he had in Cleveland where you had LeBron and all these veteran minimum contracts. It really shows how good of an executive he is because now he's saying, hey, we're a small market team. We're going to build from within. We're really going to see if we can make this core roster really, really good. And you've got to give it to him. And then you have you know, a JJ Reddick guy who's a great locker room guy. You have um, Steven Adams who you saw the way he played with Russell Westbrook and would literally box out three guys at the free throw line so Westbrook could get the rebound. Like the ultimate team player, great screens, great hustle player. I think there's a lot of things that Zion can learn from him. And so the roster, I think, collectively, this roster they put together isn't for this year. It's to help those young players be really good in two or three years. And it's going to be really exciting to see. So I'm going to get into my pick of the day. And there's a lot of people out there that watch football and watch the Jets. And I'm going to say purposely lose that game because there's no reason you run cover zero with 13 seconds left and give Derek Carr, who's not the most accurate quarterback, a one-on-one opportunity with a receiver that runs a 4-3-7-40, right? So at this point, you have to do that because you, if you're going to win one game and lose out on arguably the best quarterback prospects is Andrew Luck. It makes no sense. But Adam Gase is not the worst coach in football. That crown is worn by Anthony Lynn. Like he is absolutely, without a doubt, the worst coach in football. And it's not just because of the 45-0 loss to New England yesterday, which was kind of like the end of it all. It was like the last gemstone on the, uh, the, the Thanos, Avengers. The Thanos you know, thing. The, the Thanos glove. Yeah, like it was the last one. But early in the season, I think week nine, they were the only team to lose every game by less than seven points who had lost a game, right? So they lost close games. Now they're losing games to New England, who has, like we mentioned, no offensive threats on the perimeter at running back at quarterback, unless you're talking about like a mobile running quarterback, because Cam can't throw at this point in his career, 12 for 19 for 69 yards. You give up two special team touchdowns, both a block field goal and a punt return. 
And, like, you have arguably a top 10, maybe top 5 roster in football. I mean, they're absolutely loaded. D-line, they have a good young linebacking core. Their offensive line is above average. They have two, I would say, at least a number one in Keelan Allen. I think Mike Williams is probably one of the best number twos in football. Eckler's a good running back. Justin Herbert's going to run away with rookie of the year at quarterback. Like, how are you 3-9? and nine? How is this football team 3-9? and nine? And you're a defensive-minded head coach, and your team can't play defense. Like Justin Herbert's throwing up numbers, you're able to score, which normally doesn't work when you're a defensive minded coach, but you can't coach defense. Like, I don't know why the Chargers haven't. It's probably going to break right after the show because normally it does on Monday. So we're probably going to find out around 9, 10 o'clock Pacific time that Anthony Lynn was relieved of his duties, probably the special teams coach as well. But he is absolutely atrocious and they have to move on. I love that you pointed out relieved of their duties. I think that's like the most eloquent way you can say you're fired i love because when they broke that about matt patricia in, in detroit there's like he's been relieved of his duties i'm like it's it's almost like you're you're doing it to be nice but it's almost like a slap in your face it's a bigger slap in the face like relieved of what duties because you weren't doing anything well like what was your duty <laughs> to lose football games <laughs> exactly but yeah i i don't understand it like i you can't blame it on your roster or player personnel you have a rookie quarterback, which, you know, in most cases, there's there's growing pains in that. But Justin Herbert, other than yesterday, really hasn't shown much of that this entire season. So you've got a quarterback that people are talking about that is going to be potentially better than Andrew Luck. I'm seeing headlines better than Andrew Luck with, you know, basically Andrew Luck with a stronger arm. And and you're three and nine. And you, like you said, I mean, to I would say on most teams, Mike Williams is a number one. But yeah, like to your point, like on this team, he's an elite number two. Keenan Allen's for sure a number one. Um, I mean, you all you forgot about uh, Hunter Henry as well, and then you got Eckler, and you know it's like this this team is really really good. I mean, there was talks in the offseason about Tom going to L.A. because he's got a house in L.A. Like you give McShay this offense, regardless of like right. any injuries. I mean this this team is going to have nine wins right now. They probably have nine wins. Oh, hundred percent. And so it's just, it's, I think it shows how important it is to have an offensive minded head coach when you have an elite quarterback. And I'm not saying that Justin Herbert is an elite quarterback right now, but if he continues to improve upon this season over the next two to three years, he's going to be in the elite conversation. And I hope that the chargers front office does not make the mistake and hire another defensive minded head coach because that's what honestly the Chargers have done the last few head coaches. And so, um, you know, I, I, I know that McCoy was a was an offensive minded head coach and he was he was decent. Um, but look, I, I think that when you're looking at this team overall and you look at the record, you have to be as a front office, you have to be so disappointed in how the season has gone. And I don't know why at this point you would hold on to Anthony Lynn, maybe just because we're getting close to the holidays. The season's almost over. You might as well just brace for the impact because at this point, you're not going to make the playoffs. So I just don't get it. Like it, it baffles me that the job that he's done. I mean, the stat you brought up, I think what two or three podcasts ago um, about the chargers being the only team to lose a game by less than a touchdown, but have a losing record that's not a stat like category you want to be a part of. And so, you know, I think if you're Anthony Lynn, you have to know that it's coming like winter's coming that, that famous meme from the game of Thrones, like winter's coming for him. Um, not just for everybody else, but for him, especially. And um, I think we're going to see a coaching change before the season ends. 
And if you're a potential coach next year, you have to be licking your chops. Oh, 100%. Because there's not brand new stadium very often that you get that roster. Like you're going to have your franchise quarterback. You have talent at every skill position. Getting Derwin back. On the defensive side of the ball, you're pretty stacked. You have a playmaker at every level because they took Murray from, I think, Oklahoma Oklahoma. last year. He's a good young linebacker. You have Bosa, you know, like they have a chance. Derwin James. I get you. I, the, I mean, I guess the, the only down, the downfall is you have Mahomes in your division, but six teams make the playoffs, right? So, like, you have a chance to at least make the wild card, if not to throw the Chiefs. And so it's like that. When the Raiders team, have gone toe to toe with them twice, and the Broncos yeah. went toe to toe with them last night. So it's winnable. You know what I mean? Especially when in the next, I think in the next two to three years, the Chiefs are going to look a lot different because they're not going to have the money to keep all those guys. So it's going to be interesting at that point. But Mahomes is apparently already the GOAT, and he's going to win 10 rings, so we'll find out in the next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I got to bring this up because I know you'll love this. I didn't text you because I, 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 I knew what you would say, but it was just absurd. Like It was the, it was the game where uh, two weeks ago when the Chiefs played the Bucks, and some reporter had asked him a question. I didn't hear the question, but I heard his response. And I'm assuming it was something along the lines of you know something about yeah. Tom Brady, right? Your matchup against Tom Brady, it might be your last one. And um, I think they had asked him something about like, do you think you're in the same category as good as him? And, you know, and he was like, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm not as good as him yet. And I was like, okay, one, let me first say this. I like Patrick Mahomes. I actually genuinely believe like he's a good guy. He's, he's honestly for being as talented as he is. He's, he's actually a really humble player, but I just thought, look, I, it's great to have confidence. You need to have confidence in yourself. I have no issue with that. And it's not that it was a horrible response, but it's like, your response in that moment should have been like, I have so much time left in my career to try to accomplish what Tom has over 20 plus years. Um, I'm not even close to that yet. I'm focused on, you know, this season and this game to just be like, yeah, like I'm not there yet. It's like, it's, it, it completely diminishes what Tom has done over two plus decades. When dude, you literally look so bad in the Super Bowl and you won like you won Super Bowl MVP because the NFL felt bad and was like, okay, we need to make this guy the next face of the league. And we have to give him, he won a Super Bowl. We have to give him an MVP trophy because we got to keep that talk alive about him being compared to Tom. But it's like, you literally were your, if your defense did not play the way that they played, you don't have a ring today. The 49ers win that game. And you're just at this point, a guy that puts up a lot of stats and can throw the ball sidearm. No, you know, no look passes 80 yards in the air. And again, still super talented, but like this whole, this whole talk about like them being in the same category, like in football, the fact that he has five less rings than Tom and has done way less than Tom. It's again, I, I'll say this in defense of Patrick, like he just hasn't been in the league long enough. So it's like, he can't, he can't like expedite his career. He can only play what's in front of him, but that's why you need to stop the conversation right now. Have that conversation in five years. If he's got three rings at that point, but at this point, Stop having that conversation. Well, the crazy thing is, like, I understand, like, you have him. He's young. You have the explosive offense. You have Kelsey. You have Tyreek Hill. You have Andy Reid. It looks like and just enjoy we're going to win, you know, seven in the next 10 years. But it just doesn't happen. Like, even in New England, they won three in four years. And then they didn't win another one for over 10 years. Like, it just it doesn't matter how dominant you think your team is. Look, winning six Super Bowls in the NFL is like Bill Russell's, what, 11 in the NBA? I mean, it's just – it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's so hard to win Super Bowls in the NFL. Like winning six, going to nine is absurd. 
And the crazy thing about Super Bowls, too, is it's not like NBA championships. You don't have a seven-game series. You have one game. You have one off game. I mean, even looking against the Chiefs last night, they barely beat a really, really, really bad Broncos team. So you have one bad game. I mean, let's not forget, like, it was impressive because it worked, but they were down 24-0 versus the Texans. Like, right. you have That's, another showing yep. like that in the playoffs this year. I mean, there's no guarantee. Like, you watch that team and you watch the way they play Tampa and you go, oh, my gosh, they're going to run away with the Super Bowl. And then you watch that game versus the Broncos and you go, there's a lot of parity in the NFL. Like, there is a lot of parity. And the Chiefs probably have the highest potential, the highest ceiling of any team but they can also lose on any given Sunday. And I think that's what's so crazy about winning Super Bowls and winning so many like New England has done is it's just like you have to almost have everything go right. And then even when you think of some of the New England Super Bowls, like most of them have been really, really close, like within three points. And some of them have been like all-time historic comebacks. Like you look at the one versus the Falcons and even the close game versus the Rams that they narrowly won. Like it's really, really hard to win Super Bowls. So we're wrapping up week 13 of the NFL season. And I think that this had a lot of storylines in it, a lot of surprising games. I know I was texting you a ton just about how crazy some of these games were going and how they ended up. And, you know, I, when I look at some of these matchups, I, you know, when we went through the, the matchups uh, on, on Friday, I was, I was very surprised by really what ultimately ended up being the result to a lot of these games. And, you know, like for example, you know, we'll kick it off with the Cleveland-Tennessee game. I mean, I texted you and I was like, the Browns? Like, what? This is insane. And then by the end of the game, the final score is 41-35. And I'm like, how did the Browns let the Tennessee Titans back in this game? And you're like, because they're both pretenders. And I thought that was like a perfect description for both of them because it was like Cleveland was holding on trying not to lose that game rather than trying to win it. And you know, Tennessee, like I've said all year long, they've just been super inconsistent. Well, like, what are your thoughts on that whole game? I, I know that Cleveland's nine and three. And look, again, have to give Stefanski and the Browns credit. Like, I got to give Baker credit. Like, I again, I still don't feel like Baker is going to ever be an elite starting quarterback, but he looked good yesterday. And I can't just come on here and bash him when things go bad. Like, he played really well yesterday. Um, but what are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to win a game when you're down 30 eight to seven at halftime and that's the situation Tennessee found themselves in and they're a team that likes to run the football Derrick Henry struggled early in the game he had a really costly fumble you know and then when you look at it from the Brown situation I kind of understand like trying to play it safe because you are up 38-7 but it just shows kind of how inconsistent they can be at times because all of Baker's highlight plays his big scoring plays came off of you know, the play action the first half. And so when I look at this game, I don't really think that much different from it from either team. Like I feel bad, you know, not giving Cleveland credit because they're nine and three for the first time and I don't know how long. Like it's it's really impressive what they've done. But it's also like it's a really weird NFL season. Like it just is. It's a weird NFL season. And I'm not like blaming it all on COVID. It just is like a lot of the normal teams and powerhouses that we're used to seeing on top they just aren't and Cleveland's taken advantage of that and I give them credit for it but I still like even if say Pittsburgh loses out right like I still am taking Pittsburgh in a playoff matchup I'm still taking the Chiefs in a playoff matchup I still think I like the Bills on paper more than Cleveland and so you know, they've done everything they can just at the end of the day like Stefanski's done a phenomenal job with this roster 
They run the ball like crazy, and it's play action. It kind of reminds me of the Rams. The only reason I have a little bit more confidence in the Rams is I think McVay is like an all-time offensive genius, where Stefanski maybe that I just don't know it yet. And Baker, to me, like he had a great stat line, 25 of 33 for 334 and four touchdowns. Like Normally you look at that and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. But I've also seen Baker go – 12 of 19 for a buck 20 and three picks. And so that's where for me, like Tennessee, they've never been a team that wowed me. I think they're a team kind of like the Browns where if you can get up early and you can run the ball with Nick Chubb or Derrick Henry, you can win football games. But like we just mentioned, the Chiefs in the earlier segment, they were down 24 overs to Texans and they came back. I don't think either of these football teams in a playoff scenario, if they get down early, they're going to be able to climb back. And so I think my biggest takeaway is I kind of feel the same on both these guys. But to your point, I think you made earlier, like watch going into this weekend, we were thinking like, there's not really any good matchups. Like what games are we looking forward to? Maybe like the 49ers bills that we get tonight. But besides that, it's like you have the bills, you have the jets, Raiders, you have the Bengals, dolphins. Like there's nothing super exciting, but that Raiders jets game, like, it was actually really exciting. Like to watch it, this game, like completely summarized up Derek Carr's career for me because, like, he has a really great first half. Darren Waller is going absolutely bonkers. Like, I think he had twelve grabs, two hundred twenty yards, two touchdowns. Like, he almost had a third, and Marcus May like grabbed him at the five yard line and prevented a touchdown or the Raiders, or he would have had three. But two hundred yards, yeah. Derek Carr throws like three of the worst passes I think I've ever seen at the five-yard line. Like when you have uh, Nelson Aguilar like throwing temper tantrums, when the Eagles like let him walk because he couldn't catch. Like there was memes last year of of him like for his 15 drops in, in Philadelphia. Like when he's literally like throwing a tantrum on the sideline, he's not like an OBJ talent. It shows how bad Derek Carr is playing. And then to hit Henry Ruggs late on that game-winning touchdown – it was crazy, but I just I wonder what that Jets locker room is like because you have to if you're like a Jets player, you wanted to win that game because you're a competitive athlete. But I feel like watching like if you were Sam Darnold on that sideline, which he has to be in the most uncomfortable situation because you know if the Jets have the number one the number one overall pick, you're not gonna be there. So you're literally like trying to win two or three games so you can kind of predict your future. But maybe if you're Sam Darnold, you actually want to get shopped. But like if you're watching that game, you're like I got us the win. I got us the lead with 13 seconds left for running cover zero. Like, I don't know what's running through your mind if you're if you're on that sideline. Yeah, I mean, it, it, to your point, they they needed to lose that game and running cover zero in that in that situation. I mean, I I told you I was like, I know Rugs put a double move on the corner, but still, you have to have safety help. Like, you know, they're throwing the football. There's five seconds left. They're at the 50 essentially, and they're gonna throw. So. Make sure that you you have prevent defense, and they didn't. It was like it was insane, especially when you have a guy like you mentioned that's got the elite speed of Henry Ruggs one on one. I mean, it's it's it was just so obvious. But I'm like, at that point, if you're gonna lose the game at the end, like, why did you try the whole game? Like, why did you try to compete that entire game? But that was that was an interesting game. Like, I I was texting you, and I was like, the Jets, man. Like this to me, it almost felt like. Adam Gaze was like, I know you're going to fire me. So like, I'm going to try to sabotage as much as I possibly can, like in the process, because he'll probably never be a head coach again. Um, and he almost did that yesterday. 
I feel like ownership like made a call down and they're like, if you win this game, like I won't only fire you, like I will ruin your life or you won't even get like a, a quarterback coaching job again. Like you're not going to lose this game. We haven't gone through this amount of trauma all year to lose the number one overall pick to Jacksonville. And if you're Trevor Lawrence, you're like, I'd probably rather live in New York. Um, another game that I thought was great and I think really eye-opening to a lot of people who don't watch football like super in-depth and it's just, they're more like into the highlights was the Rams – um, Cardinals game because I think it really showed kind of who Kyler Murray is and what I mean by that is I think Kyler Murray he's electric he's fun to watch but he's really limited when you, he gets stuck in the in the pocket and, and it's tough he's a little shorter I think he's like five eight five nine and one of the things Cliff does really well is normally they list him at five ten supposedly. 5'10 really tall cleats. It's like the basketball. Supposedly. It's like the basketball things where you have a point guard who's like <laughs> Isaiah Thomas is like six one, but if you see him on the street he's like five seven because they I think in the NBA they used to measure people with shoes on and then two years ago they switched it up because it was so misleading. It's like yes. when you give your stats yes. like in high school football. Like I think my senior year I was six two, two like two fifteen, when in reality I was like stacked. Six foot buck eighty five, but it sounded good during intros. So <laughs> Uh, that's kind of like, I mean, kind of Jack, but uh, so the first half, I think like right before the last drive, he was one for seven for 59 yards and it was on a, on a really big play when a guy was wide open, but it just showed to me how limited he is because I mean, the reality is he, he does struggle when he's just in the po- pocket because it's hard to see over the offensive lineman. It's hard to see over the defensive lineman. And if you can't get him out in space, they're really going to struggle. And I think to your point, and you were kind of ahead of the curve on this was, you know, Arizona is going to be fun to watch this year, but you have to do so much to get Kyler in a position to be successful. And for the first time on the show, I finally said Kyler over Kyle, um, that you're going to be <laughs> limited in two or three years when teams kind of figure out what you're doing because you're just going to force them to stay in the pocket. I think the Rams and McVay kind of figured that out yesterday and the Rams put a whooping on him. Like it was 38-28, but the game wasn't that close. And then McVay finally got a really good performance from Cam Akers, who was the running back they took from Florida State, who he's been kind of inconsistent at times. But the Rams, you know, they were the best that they could be when they had Todd Gurley before the knee injuries. And they've really kind of struggled the last year and a half, two years when they haven't had that dominant running back. And so if Cam Akers, it's still too early to see, but if he can turn into that, you know, workhorse running back, I think the Rams have a really good shot, not only this year, um, to be a challenger, you know, in the playoffs, but in, in years to come. Yeah, I was laughing because you had texted me and you're like, it must be really hard to see over the line at five nine. So um, I just thought that was hilarious because, you know, I know a lot of people take shots at his height and um, and it's not even about that per se. But I, I think that we've gotten into an era just really in society, but specifically in football, it's it's almost become cool to find like this gadget quarterback or like the next guy that, is super unique and he's going to change the quarterback position and then they don't. And, you know, like I've said on this show, the quarterback position has changed. Like I think a lot of people have talked about that pretty frequently thinking as though it hasn't. And the only way to change the position is they have to look like Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick, or in this case, keeping it uh, current like Kyler Murray. And that's not the case. Like, it's changed from Tom Brady, Peyton Manning to Patrick Mahomes, Carson Wentz. Okay. Six, five. And I know uh, Mahomes is like six, two, but mobile, uh, but the ability to throw on the run, different arm angles, strong arm. Um, they're not statues anymore. Like Tom's a statue. Peyton was a statue. Philip Rivers is a statue. 
those guys no longer are going to be the future of what the quarterback position is going to look like. It's going to look like that's why a guy like Trey Lance can come from North Dakota State and still be after that horrible performance in their one game this year. I'm still seeing him projected as a top five pick. It's because that's what guys or GMs are looking for. And, um, you know, I, again, I just think that it's it's really absurd that we are trying to <laughs> inject these these Lamar Jacksons and Kyler Murrays and Johnny Manziels into the NFL as though they're going to change this, the position, and they're just not. It's just, like height matters. It It's <laughs> 6'5", 250 matters. Like the reason Josh Allen went as high as he did playing at Wyoming, having like a 59% completion percentage, was because he was 6'5", 245, could run, and had a cannon for an arm. That's why he got drafted. The reason Kyler Murray got drafted was because he went to Oklahoma. If he stayed at Texas A&M, Kyler Murray would have played baseball. So, you know, I, I just, I, I don't understand why people are, are so confused by this at this point, even the Lamar Jackson thing. And here's the thing. I, it's like, I actually like Lamar Jackson. I think he's a super humble guy, really good kid, but he's just not a quarterback. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's an incredible athlete, but it, it's just, it's just insane. Like I'm going to get into, I was going to use this for my pick of the day, but I figured to save it. Um, for, for this game that we're going to get into next, which is the Eagles and the Packers. And the main... Please tell me what Doug Peterson is doing. Like, what is why, he doing? Why is he... I just, again, I've said this several times. Why is he Why is he completely void of any of the responsibility? And, you know, I think at this point, the fact that Carson Wentz got benched is a testament to... He's feeling, and I'm talking about Doug Peterson, he's feeling the pressure from the front office. Um and I think his job's in jeopardy. I really do. And it's not just like the obvious, like they're not playing well, their record's really poor, but they were trying to get a spark, right? Because they haven't announced the starter yet, which shows to me, they were just literally trying to get a spark off the bench from Jalen Hurts. And I just think it's interesting that we are in a day and age where a rookie quarterback who's never played it down in the NFL, who got benched at Alabama, transfers to Oklahoma, has a good season, but so does everybody else that starts for Oklahoma. Um, and people are questioning whether or not, like if he doesn't go to Oklahoma, he doesn't get drafted. Like that's, that's like oh, for sure. point, even on Kyler, like if Jalen Hurst stays at Alabama, even if he starts there, like, and he continues to play it the way he played at Alabama, he doesn't get drafted. Absolutely. Like the reason he got drafted is a hundred percent because he went to Oklahoma. Like, he knew that. That's why he went people there. People need to understand that. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I just think at this point, like, I, I almost want to see just Jalen Hurts play so everybody can shut up about this whole Carson Wentz deal. Um, I mean, I literally texted you during that game and I said, I'm just watching Carson Wentz getting absolutely destroyed. Like, he's just, there's there's no time. He's getting absolutely demolished in the pocket. And, um, you know, so look, I think if, if I'm Howie Roseman, you <laughs> you fire Doug Peterson, you bring in an offensive-minded head coach, maybe Eric Bieniemy, the OC for Kansas City. And you build around Carson. I mean, I, I just, it's just complete nonsense. It's absolute nonsense that you would think that Jalen Hurts, a guy who, like, as I said, got benched, transfers, has one good season, who, again, to me, there's, I mean, what about, Dustin, you tell me this, because I, I, I feel like I beat a dead horse with the Carson Wentz thing. What is it about Jalen Hurts that would make you go, yeah, you know what, I think he has a better chance in the league than Carson? 
absolutely nothing unless I'm a Pats fan advocating for the Eagles. <laughs> that so yes, you can trade for Carson yes, Wentz. Yes. But besides that, like the only reason I would bench Carson Wentz yesterday, I would be is, so like, mad if you got Carson. Point, no shot. If Bill got Carson. At this point, we have no shot. <laughs> At this shot, we have no point to win the game. So, like, I'm tired of seeing my franchise quarterback get, like, beat up. Like, you're literally just, like, throwing in the towel. But it just – it makes no sense. I mean, you have – there's – Hardly anybody, unless you look at like say like people on first take or those type of shows that are just trying to get at, like reaction. Like nobody, even former quarterbacks, like there aren't former quarterbacks coming out and saying Carson Wentz can't play. Right. Everyone Good point. who really watches football is saying the same thing. It's the situation. It's Doug Peterson. It's the general manager. It's like, like we talked about before this show, like the Cowboys and their offensive line, right? And how like you know. Two or three years ago, it was a really good offensive line, but they've been hit by injuries year after year after year. And then you had Travis Frederick retire. Um, Tyron Smith can't stay healthy. It's kind of similar in Philadelphia. Like, we remember that Philadelphia offensive line that won a Super Bowl when you had Brandon Books and you had, I think, Jason Peters. And um, they have the really good – Lane Johnson, the right guy, who's been hurt all year. So, And Kelsey, like, they were really, really good. I read a stat for last week's show where they've had a different offensive line front five combination every game this season. You're not going to win football games with that. You're not going to win football games. Like everyone wants to make the case that, you know, they have like, that was part of the reason they were so successful because they didn't really have great playmakers on the outside. They had Alshon Jeffries, who at that point in his career could still high point the football. And you had Zach Ertz, who's been on IR the whole season. And so you look at this team, and besides Miles Sanders, you don't have anything, but they have probably a top bottom, sorry, not top three, one of the top three worst offensive lines in football. And so you're just not going to win. And then Doug Peterson, for being an Andy Reid disciple, he's not doing anything Carson Wentz does well. Like when you have that offensive line, you know you don't have time. The play calling is atrocious. You're literally putting Carson Wentz in a situation where he can't be successful. Like roll him out. Because you're having him do eight. Yeah, he's doing, you know, five-step drops. You're going deep progressions down the field when you have no weapons and no offensive line. It's like Jalen Rager, your first-round pick, he had one good play yesterday and it was a punt return. Like, it wasn't even a receiving play. Like, that that's the guy you spent a first-round pick on. Like, you have absolutely nobody. I mean, I they have pretty much the same skill positions as New England, but you don't have McDaniels and Belichick. And so it's like... I don't, I don't know what you expect from Carson Wentz on this at this point because besides Carson Wentz, if you swap, swap that roster with the Jets, you wouldn't notice any noticeable difference because offensively, at least, both teams are absolutely atrocious. You could probably make a case that the Jets have a better offensive line because of the lack of injuries. And so, believe me, like if you want to move on from Carson Wentz, if, especially if you're an Eagles fan, like Eagles fans right now that are coming out and saying they don't want Carson Wentz, you're absolutely idiotic. Yep. Like, it's so hard to find a franchise quarterback. And if you guys are so recent recency biased that he has a down year, especially when you watch what he did last year, the fact that they won the division last year's when he was playing with trash cans and blankets and people from Walmart at wide receiver, like the skill <laughs> position last year's were horrible. It's just More the offensive line wasn't as decimated. So you have the same – you have this, like, the same wide receiver core. I mean, at least you had Zach Ertz last year, but you had offensive line play. And so it's like you look at what he did last year, and last year you're like, oh, it's impressive because he threw for 4,000 yards with no receiver over 500 yards. Like, were you expecting the same thing with worse talent? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't either, man. Well, thank you for 
finally uh, stepping in for me on the show with that. But uh, I, I want to talk about one more game before we move on to tonight's matchups. But the the New York Giants, the the G Men, the New York Football Giants, beat the Seattle Seahawks yesterday, seventeen to twelve. Um, it's been it's been weird because obviously, like I'm a huge Russell Wilson fan, and over the course of this season, you know, early on he was on an absolute tear, and I just feel like the last like three to four weeks he has not played really well. And um, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily concerned because again, I. I I still feel the same about him. You know, they're eight and four. They're first in the West. It's not like, you know, there's cause for massive concern, but I'm thinking more along the lines of, you know, the playoffs and what that's going to mean come, you know, that time, just because defensively they're so vulnerable. Um, what are your thoughts on this game? I mean, <laughs> the Giants are now in sole possession of first place uh, in the NFC East um, without Danny Dimes yesterday. So that was a big win for them. Um, but what are your thoughts on, you know, New York? I feel like they've, they've played really hard for Joe judge all season. It's looking like, you know, I, <laughs> we've come on the show and I feel like I pick a new team in the East every week, but it looks like this might be the team in the East. I don't know. Washington's right there. So we'll see what they do tonight against Pittsburgh. But, um, what are your thoughts on this, on this matchup and, and what it, what it means honestly for both teams? Well, if you're Seattle, like you're eight and four, but the Rams have the tiebreaker, right? So now you don't have home field advantage. I don't think is as big of a deal because you don't have fans in Seattle. But for me, although I love Russell Wilson, this is kind of what happened last year as well. And what I mean by that is Russell has kind of consistently had really hot starts. And then towards the end of the season, at least from a statistical standpoint, he has kind of dwindled down. And I think there's a number of reasons. That's true. I think one is like Pete Carroll loves to run the football. And I think although like Russell – you know, has shown that he's a franchise quarterback. He's a top three quarterback in football. I think Pete Carroll, like when he's at his best and when he's most comfortable, they're running the football consistently and they're playing great defense. The issue is Seattle's not playing great defense. And so when you're not playing great defense, you don't have the luxury of running the ball as often. You need to be able to score points. But I think for me, what it really shows, and it's part of the reason that I picked the 49ers at the beginning of this season to win the division is, what we're seeing now, more so than we saw early in the season, is Seattle's really, really flawed. And Russell Wilson is good enough on his own to get them into the playoffs and overcome a lot of it. But he may not be good enough by himself because no one's good enough by themselves to win a Super Bowl. Because like we've mentioned multiple exactly. times, like DK Metcalf is a really talented receiver. But he still has two or three plays a game that have been really costly. Like he had the fumble, I think, versus the Cowboys where he dropped the ball at the one-yard line. He's had a few drops in the end zone. Like he makes spectacular plays, but then you can see he's young at times because he misses like the routine play. Tyler Lockett's more of a gadget slot receiver, right? So those are your two guys um, on the perimeter. Then when you look at a guy like Chris Carson, he's a really talented running back, but he can't stay healthy. He can't, right? He, he gets hurt all the right. time. And then their offensive line, I would say, is average to below average, right? And so, so much of what Russ does is ad-libbing. So when you play a team like the Giants, who have a really good front seven, you lose all those opportunities to ad-lib. And then when you look at Seattle, Jamal Adams, he's fun to watch because he makes, you know, the spectacular play every game. But he also, at times, like... I've seen so many memes of Jamal Adams like shooting the gap and missing the, the tackle on the running back because he just he sells out too much. He's also a strong safety. And so when was the last time a championship team won on defense because of a strong safety? Um, never. 
Like it, it doesn't happen. Like a strong safety is a good luxury piece. And I still think he makes up for a lot of holes for Seattle, but they have him and they have Bobby Wagner, but their front four is not that great. It's not the legion of boom that we're accustomed to. And so Seattle still has a shot because I don't think there's any team in the NFC that I'm absolutely sold on. Like the Packers won again versus a really bad Philadelphia team. So that's what the Packers have done consistently this year, right? The Saints, I get their 10 and 2. I still can't buy the hype. Like I'm really excited for this um this matchup with them versus the Eagles this week. Like we're, I think we're going to see, you know, the Saints win another game versus a bad team, but you I still am not completely sold on them and then when Breeze gets back What's that going to be like if he's missed five or six weeks? Tampa's been up and down. Um, the Rams have been up and down. And so I think because the NFC is so wide open, Seattle has a shot. But I don't think they're as good as we all thought they were week six. All right, so let's talk about Monday night, Dust. So we got Washington, Pittsburgh, Buffalo, San Francisco. I know you kind of touched on the Buffalo-San Francisco matchup a little bit earlier. So I'm really pumped for that one. I think it's going to be um, – a very interesting matchup. I know San Francisco has been decimated by injuries all season long, but they've got, it seems like some sort of a winning formula. Um, Kyle Shanahan's doing a heck of a job as a head coach. Uh, let's start with the Washington Pittsburgh matchup. So, you know, having, having Alex Smith back has been an amazing story. He's played pretty well, um, you know, in his what uh, three starts this season. And, you know, he's, if they win tonight, they'll be tied for first place. Um, in the, in the NFC East. So Pittsburgh, I understand they're undefeated. They've, they've, uh, you know, I know my Cowboys played them pretty close. Um, they've played some pretty close games this season. Um, which is why I think for you, it's, you led to you feeling not super confident about them and that their record on some level is somewhat misleading. Uh, but what are your thoughts on this matchup tonight? Pittsburgh wins this football game. Like you look at the way they came out and played the Ravens last week they're not going to play that way again against against Washington. I think they come out tonight, and I think I think it's a blowout. I'm thinking like 35-20. I think Big Ben kind of gets back to what they're doing. They have so many playmakers on the outside with James Washington, Chase Claypool, um, Juju McShuster. Like they're they're so talented on the perimeter, and I don't think Washington has enough to keep up. I realize they have a good defensive line, but their back half of their defense isn't very good. And so I think the Steelers roll this one. The game I'm actually really interested in is the 49ers versus Bills because it's crazy to th- it's crazy when you think about it, but if the Niners win this game and they're 6-6, six and six, they're a game out of the playoffs. Like, they've had so many injuries to the casual fan. You assume the Niners are just rebuilding for next year, which they probably are to an extent, but – they're going to be six, six, six and six with the Vikings and the Cardinals, and they're going to be fighting for either the sixth or the seventh wild card spot because you have the Giants leading the division, you have the Rams and Seahawks, you have the Packers, Saints and Bucks, but there's a seventh wild card spot this year. And so if they win tonight, they're going to have a chance to possibly make the playoffs. So I think this matchup versus Buffalo, and then if you're Buffalo, you got to win this game because the Dolphins are winning every week with you, and so. Like uh, like Josh Allen mentioned, I think in an interview this week, you know, eight and four doesn't matter if you're not in the NFC East. And so, if you're in the AFC East, uh, a pretty good division in football for the first time in 20 years, you got to keep winning some games. Yeah, it's going to be a fun matchup. I, I Buffalo, I think, is uh, a really sneaky good team. And I say sneaky, I just feel like nobody's talking about them. And, uh, you know, not that they flew under the radar in the preseason. Everybody thought Buffalo was going to be good this year, potentially win the East. Um, 
But, you know, San Francisco, like you, to your point, if they win tonight being six and six, I mean, there's a really good chance they get into the playoffs. Um, you know, I, I don't know if they, when Garoppolo is healthy, if he's the guy, if they're going to stick with Mullins. Um, and again, they're, they're not obviously going to be a contender in the playoffs this year, but it's just, I love to see great coaching and, and the way that Shanahan has rallied the troops and gotten them ready each and every week. And they've been competitive. Um, and they beat good teams. And so um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if if they beat Buffalo. Now, I think it's interesting to point out they're playing in Arizona uh, because uh, the great state of California is shutting down again. And um, they got evacuated essentially from Santa Clara, their home in the Bay Area. And so uh, I don't know if that's going to play any sort of a factor uh, in on this game or for this team. But um, I still think like it's going to be a closer game than maybe on paper it looks like because it's it's easy to say, hey, Buffalo, you know, they're healthy. They're a really good team defensively. Offensively, they've played well this year. Um, and San Francisco's got a ton of injuries, but I think it's going to be a closer game. Uh, last matchup, so we get a Tuesday game. Uh, my beloved Dallas Cowboys at, at Baltimore. I think it's going to be a shellacking of the Cowboys. Um, and I, like I said, I, I, there's back? nothing he's supposed to be. Um, now if they have Trace McSorley or RG three, then we've got a shot, but, uh, yeah, I, there's not, there's no game I go into where I feel like, like, even if we play, well, if you guys get destroyed by them for you, is this the worst loss of the year? Cause it's the Ravens. No, I think honestly, the, the low moment for me was when Andy Dalton got hit when he was giving himself up on a slide and nobody came to his, his, uh, his aid. That was probably the low point for me in the season. That's when I. That's when I knew the season was over. Not even the Thanksgiving yeah. was tough for me. That game was tough. I think that one was tough. That one. Was there running back yes. Antonio Gibson? Ricky Corbett that one, that or Ricky running back three TDs? Yeah, that one was tough for me. Yeah, that one was tough. I mean, I was playing him in fantasy football that week, so it made it extra tough. I lost by point two points, but <laughs> it is what it is, man. That's, that's why you play the game. That's going to wrap things up for episode 60 of the DNC Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the pod. Share with friends. Share with family. Get out the word. We appreciate all of the support. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at DNC Podcast. And we'll see you guys Friday.